Welcome to Dice Changers, a podcast where we cover topics related to Dungeons and Dragons in the greater TTRPG space. I'm your host, Aaron, and today we're joined by Emmy, who uses she, they pronouns, an online content creator, cosplayer, theater, filmmaker, and certified all-around nerd. Hi, Emmy. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Dice Changers. Hi, Aaron. I was so joyful. I was so joyful. I'm so glad that you're like excited to be here. Um, very quickly, can you tell the audience and everybody who's listening exactly who you are and kind of where they can find you online? I forgot we were doing this bit. Hi, I'm Amy. You can find me at Amy Claire on um, all social medias. You can find me on the TikTok, Twitter, and the Instagrams. Have I stolen that from Val? Maybe. Um, I do cosplay content, general nerdy stuff, and you can see my recent series where I started talking about D&D, specifically what we're talking about today, which is Barbietopia, which oh a lot God, of people yeah. online are interested in. Apparently, I did not realize there was such an overlap between the Barbie community and the Dungeons and Dragons community until you started on this project, which really quickly, can you talk about Barbietopia for the audience? Because it is kind of the focus of what today is about in a way. Yeah, so Barbietopia is the homebrew name given to my latest D&D project, which was to make the Barbie cinematic universe into a workable D&D adventuring universe, taking all of the movies, all of the lore, and compiling it into some kind of functional system that players can exist in and do stories. I... I am so proud because a year ago you did not play D&D. A year ago no. you were you were the friend of one or you were the significant other of one of my friends who played Dungeons and Dragons and we talked you into it and now you are turning Barbie into D&D. Look. <laughs> you're not It's not that you're wrong. I just feel attacked right now. <laughs> No, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know as many players who have made the full leap into just going with it and just going with the bit. And like, Barbietopia is one of those things that I think are really interesting because I've not seen a whole lot of things like it done. Um, there are people who are like, we play games in like specific universes, but never Barbie. Are you kidding? I've never seen anything similar to Barbie in Dungeons and Dragons and I love it. I so when I first started out I tried to like look online to see if there were any resources that other people had made perhaps I found nothing absolutely nothing and because you had to do it yourself that's kind of like the topic we're going to be talking about on today's podcast which is which is adapting existing worlds into homebrew D&D content absolutely it's it's I'm very excited to talk to you about this because me doing this is what got you into D&D, and you doing this is what got you into DMing. And that's, like, very important to you as a player. So I'm really excited to talk about at least what we've done for our worlds. Uh, for people who listen to the podcast, you might be aware that I do a Percy Jackson-inspired Dungeons & Dragons game where people play in the universe of Percy Jackson. But honestly, I find that way less interesting than Barbietopia. Um, and we just kind of want to talk about some of the things that we did when adapting an existing property or universe into Dungeons & Dragons. And I feel like Emmy is like one of the best people to talk to about that. So these tips may or may not be applicable for turning your favorite TV show or book series into a D&D world. But it's a start because we have at least two successful worlds already over here. People have offered to pay me for Barbietopia content. 
I mean, I honestly, if you threw like just the the supplement of notes that you currently have up on DMs Guild for like a couple bucks, people would pay for it. Aaron, it's five pages of nonsense. Oh. I paid for four pages of a TTRPG the other day for nine pound. Okay, maybe it would be worth something. I don't it know. Would absolutely, be worth something. Um, I guess kind of. I'm having trouble picking where we should start with this topic because it's such an interesting and vast topic, and it's not linear mm-hmm. um, in terms of world building at all. But I think the paralyzation of where we should start is actually a good point for where we should start because that's kind of how you can feel when trying to do this, right? Yeah. I I don't know when the idea first came to me. It feels like something that's been in the back of my head for a while and I just finally got around to doing it one day. Um, But yeah, I had no fucking clue where to start. I was like, do I start with lore, map, what? Um, yeah, who knows? I don't. There's no right way to do this. It's kind of like, uh, I've already done a podcast episode on world building, but I feel like with this, mostly you can throw all of that out because you're really not, you are world building, but you're not. You're taking another world that has already been built and you're taking these pieces and then just very shitty glue and you're trying to make it work. The woman was too stunned to speak. (laughs) Is what just happened to me. Um, yeah, though it. I've obviously so. Aaron mentioned this already. This is my first time being a dungeon master. I really decided to, you know, leap in at the deep end. But when have I not? I think that's my whole D and D experience. I mean, yeah, from going from like not playing any D and D at all to being in a weekly streamed home game of a of a mostly like homebrew system. That's insane. And it's always in at the deep end with you. So you don't know where the idea came to you. What was the first like tangible thing you started on? The first tangible thing I started on was the world map for Barbietopia. Um, which if anyone wants to go look at it, it is going to be on my Twitter at some point. Um, I checked. I am allowed to sell it as a print. So I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Actually, an easy way for people to be able to find that is we can always uh i normally tweet when these episodes go live if you want to respond to that tweet with like a link to it or something like that that might be an easy way for people to find it i'll do that um so yeah the first thing i did was build the world map because i knew the the world law in terms of working out what stories happened when was going to be a much longer process um and ended up being informed by where i'd put everything in the world. So I, the first thing I did was went on Barbie Wiki and looked through all the films and just got the names of every single kingdom mentioned in every single Barbie movie. Um, That's a lot. That's a lot. I was thinking about that because there's like, what, 40 something Barbie films or something like that? It's like a, it's like a ridiculous amount of Barbie films. Yeah, it's there's a lot of Barbie films. There's not that many kingdoms actually when you okay, okay. start like dividing it up. Um especially because some of the kingdoms don't have names. So in Barbie Rapunzel, uh there are the two kingdoms. It's King Frederick's kingdom and King Wilhelm's kingdom. They're never named. They just exist. They just are like that king's particular kingdom. 
Yeah. So there was that problem I immediately encountered of like, well, some kingdoms don't have names, but they kind of have to, to be a location. Yep. So that was something. Um, but a lot of them did have names and a lot of them are quite unique in terms of climate. For example, like the kingdom in Magic of Pegasus is very different to the kingdom in Barbie Island Princess. Aaron looks so lost, but yeah. No, 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 it's okay. I did research. I looked at the wiki page. It's fine. I Googled oh, it. Beautiful. <laughs> Speaking actually, beautiful. you do mention that you did use the wiki for this. I think that's actually a really good like tip for anybody who's trying to do their own world because basically everything has a wiki at this point. If it's popular, it has a wiki. Yeah, um, especially places like Fandom Wiki. Uh, I think... I don't know what it was, but basically Barbie Wiki seems to be its own like set of web pages somewhere that's hosted by, I don't know, I found it. It was useful. <laughs> um, and that was very useful because that had cross-referenced across all of the movies. Um, actually, my favorite part of the Barbie Wiki is it has like, I can't remember what the section was called. It basically had a section that was like links to other Barbie movies where it would have a bit of like, oh, in this Barb movie, they reused this character model from this movie. And I was like, oh, do oh, they? That's actually really cool, because then you can build that as connections into the world. That's mm -hmm. awesome, actually. I love that. There is an entire, like, plot point um, of, like, someone's the mother of someone uh, because they reused the character model in two movies. And I was like, well, well that's not just that's lore canon. in the world. That's yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so with using between using the wiki and getting all of the knowledge of like the kingdoms and things like that, you also then took that and made a map. Now, with your map, you were focused on what was the first focus? Because you talk about how you were organizing things based off of like climate and things like that. Were you at first just trying to like find where it seems like a semi-correct location for each kingdom would be, or were you trying to organize them in terms of like proximity to each other? I think climate was the big one. In terms of proximity, that wasn't really... Like, it was a thing for about two of them, I think, where I was like, these two need to be neighbouring kingdoms, and then there was another two that I were like, no, these two need to be really far away for, like, in-world reasons. Okay. Um, but other than though, like those, like, four, um, it was kind of like, I can put it anywhere and make it make sense. Yeah, that makes sense, actually, because a lot of these movies are, like, they're not really... The movies aren't meant to be connected. There's not meant to be a grand Barbie cinematic universe. You just made one with your red string and your chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these movies are not meant to be connected. I looked at it and went, no, fuck that, I'm going to connect them all. And because of that, there was actually some that you couldn't use in the process, right? There were a couple that you were like, uh, I don't think that these would fit into the world, right, if I remember correctly. Oh, so, okay, no, I know what you're referring to. So with Barbie movies, obviously you mentioned there's like 40 Barbie movies, whatever. Um, a lot of them take place in like very different times. So there's oh, Barbie okay. movies like Barbie and the Three Musketeers, for example, which seems to take place in like 16th century France and Barbie, a fashion fairy tale, which, t which takes place in like... 2010s Los Angeles. That makes sense. Okay. Like, and they're just, they're just vastly different movies. 
Um, so what I had to do was create a cutoff point for myself of being like, I'm ignoring this set of movies because they're all like the modern day Barbie movies. Um, so I was like, it's not that they don't exist. It's that they definitely don't exist yet. Yeah. Okay. 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 I was with that. <laughs> Like, I was inspired in the middle of that. It's like, well, what if the modern movies were also in this universe and it's just a really bad, like, dystopian post-apocalyptic world where, like, half of the half of the world has been shunted back to, like, 14th century France technology and half of the world is still in modern technology. <laughs> I obviously, we didn't go, you didn't go that direction at all. Um, but I, it's just, re- Alexa, enter do not disturb mode. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, like, it's just a fun, like, post-apocalyptic dystopian world where half of the world is in, like, uh, is just stuck in the past and, uh, you know, reduced to old technologies. But obviously, you didn't go that direction. And that's totally okay. Because, you know, we're just talking about random interpretation stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I thought about trying to include the modern Barbie movies and it immediately got too messy. Because the modern Barbie movies are too messy. They, those fucking weird lines that they draw with what magic exists and what doesn't and how much people know about magic. Like, no one seems phased by the fact that magic exists and then people will freak out. I feel like that's just a loss of internal consistency at that point. But I feel like that is really important for the average like consumer to know that there was just a section of the universe that you couldn't use because that's okay. That's totally like that's part of adapting everything. Um, and I feel like that was actually a strength on your part that instead of forcing all of these different things to try and coincide, you went, no, that's not what my game is going to be about. Because at the end of the day, it's all got to have the same internal consistency of a D&D game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that I want to say is the hardest bit. It was one of the harder elements of having to remind myself I wasn't just someone standing with a bit of red string trying to connect everything. It's no, I am trying to turn this into a functional thing that people can actually exist in as characters and play out storylines and it's not gonna fuck them up when they encounter this one plot point from this one 2010 Barbie movie. Yeah, that makes total sense. You're trying to avoid like that character whiplash. Mm -hmm. Um, So now that we have kind of a world map that you were talking about, you built your world map and that took you... I remember you working on this for several weeks. Was it, it was like like at least a month, right? No, the world map took me like three days. Oh, okay. I I hyperfixated right. on that world map, and that bit was done in about three days. The rest of it took me a while. That's what it was. Okay, because I remember you talking about this for a while, talking about. And I just assumed you'd been working on the world map for like ever, and then no, okay, you just made that in like three days. That's amazing. No, um, scheduling the first session took longer than writing everything for the first session. Well, that's just like universal across all Dungeons and Dragons yeah. because that's scheduling is a nightmare. You know that, I know that because we're both part of a, a Twitch channel called The Show's Mimic and uh, our April-May schedules look interesting. I think a better word is um, more April-May schedule. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's definitely a schedule. We have content, just not necessarily the normal content. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so 
obviously that's like a normal part of the D&D world of not being able to schedule things. But you made your map. Where did you go from there? Because having a play map is one thing. Like a lot of like, uh, you know, a lot of other medias will do this part for you where they'll already have a map or something like that. And you can kind of Dungeons and Dragonsify that. Where did you go next from there in terms of like deciding what your D&D game was going to be? So part of my D&D game was something I already talked about, which was the fact that some kingdoms didn't have names. So I had to assign some kingdoms names. Okay. Um, basically, if you've seen like Barbie Princess and the Pop Star, which came okay. out in like 2013... Um, that takes place in a kingdom called Marabella. Barbie Princess and the Pauper, which is the predecessor from like the 1990s, doesn't actually have a name for the kingdom. So I named that kingdom Marabella after the Princess and the Pop Star one, because like, that makes sense. Um, but the f- honestly, this is where it all becomes muddled and a lot of back and forthing on trying to put the like actual like Barbie stories in places that exist whilst also trying to create my own plot from what the Barbie movies are. And this is something that we mentioned very early on is that this is not a linear process in terms of making this world. I just wanted to kind of see where your brain had gone with inspiration. Uh, what is something that you remember being like an aha moment when building this of like, the ah, yes, I will put this here and that makes sense. I okay. So if you're any of my players who are playing in the current plan plane, this is the bit that you need to skip out on. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they'll listen to this, but who knows? Um, the aha moment for me was when I decided what the conflict of the world was gonna be, okay. because a lot of Barbie movies tend to be quite intrinsically driven. So they don't have sort of like big world crushing plots. The it's, stakes are much lower. The stakes are much lower, very personal. It's like, oh, this guy's trying to steal my family money. Better stop him. <laughs> now, to be fair, that can also be an interesting D&D game, but it's not what you want because you want to span like the whole Barbie world. You want them to experience this whole world. Yes. Um, yeah. That's a very interesting plot, just not for the big overarching world-ending shenanigans that I wanted my players to be getting up to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What I... It's really hard to track down where the ideas came from, because when I try and say them out loud, they sound absolutely insane. Well, go for um, it. So give me like one or two then. So the big aha moment for me was when I thought about what to me is the most important and memorable Barbie movie, which is Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses. Okay, That's my favorite Barbie movie. And I was like, that's the one that I want to use as a big inspiration for whatever is happening. Now, for any listeners uh, who don't, who perhaps haven't seen, like there are not in the overlap. Can you describe what the plot of Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses is? Um, so Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses is about 12 princesses. Shocker. Um, in the title. title. Um, it follows mainly Princess Genevieve, um, and her 11 sisters 
and they discover a doorway to a magical world um, that happens to be reached by dancing around on their bedroom floor through magic shenanigans. Um, however, their father's kingdom is under threat from their like evil aunt Rowena at the same time, and it's all about them finding their inner strength and creativity and learning that they're stronger as a group than as one. And there's a love B plot. That I mean, it is a Barbie thing. movie, you know. It is a Barbie movie, but that's that's the very basic plot. If there's twelve princesses, they dance magical world. And obviously, this plot had like a big impact on you. Like you were saying, this is your favorite Barbie film. So, how did you take that plot and turn it into a world-spanning campaign idea for your Dungeons and Dragons campaign? So, the way I took this was Barbie and the Twelve Dancing Princesses happened about 80 years ago in game so this is part of lore it's a very famous story in the world and Genevieve and her sisters the 12 princesses are basically now the center of the royal kingdoms in the world because all of them just went out and married and so they've disseminated across the continents what I did was I turned the dancing ritual they did to get into the magical world into an actual ritual oh okay yeah that made them all into conduits for magic so the way i've ruled it in this world is that the barbie world is not inherently magical there are things like magic items pop up occasionally there's the occasional warlock, witch, wizard, whatever. But magic as a thing didn't exist until about 80 years ago. So the princesses went into the magical realm, enacted a ritual, and became conduits for magic, feeding it back up into Barbietopia. They just became like living conduits for magic. So each one of them became a conduit for a different school of magic. So there's the norm, there's normal classes of D&D magic, abjuration, divination, blah, 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 evocation, yeah, yeah, all yeah, those yeah, things. Plus chronurgy, uh, gravaturgy, natural and divine. Okay. And I feel like there are going to be people who boohoo that. I actually really like that because I've actually been very vocal. I don't like how the spells are like split into schools currently. There's that doesn't make sense to me, and I argue about several of the spells. So adding a couple more categories, I get it. I get it. I'm here for it. Also, there needed to be twelve. There needed to be twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah, for one for each princess, and that's okay because you are the one dungeon master and you're allowed to change whatever you'd like. So anyone who might boohoo Emmy, instead, go subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah, so that's how magic came into the world, except now it's 80 years on and the princesses have started dying. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> what a turn! What a turn! So, so magic has suddenly been going wrong. No one knows why, because no one knows that the 12 princesses of Hilgovia were the conduits for magic. Like, that's just... It's just not, not public knowledge? Logical. <laughs> I mean, they don't know. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that's, like, that's DM knowledge, not necessarily, like, player-slash-character yeah. knowledge. Okay. 
So what happens when one of the if like the princess of like Chronergy dies? Does time magic just not exist in the world? Pretty much, it goes wrong. So the way I ruled it is there's no stable connection for time magic between the realm of magic and like the material plane. Okay. So it just starts going a bit fucky. The Chronergy conduit is still alive because they're not all dead. Only like five of them. Oh, that's interestingly the same size as like a D&D party. Huh, that's interesting. Oh my god, that's so funny, Aaron. <laughs> I feel like, what a weird coincidence I feel like that is. I see the, the tie-in to maybe what the players might be doing. Uh, spoiler alert, the players have now become the new conduits. Oh, that's so fucking cool. That was session one, was them becoming the new conduits for magic. Okay. And then how did you... I, Aaron, know the answer to this question, but for the audience, how did you make these conduits, like, mechanically viable? It was like, ah, you are the conduit of, you know, uh, I, was one of them uh, divine magic? I feel like that was one of the ones that got... I didn't kill off the princesses until I knew what my players were playing. Absolutely. Um, because I wanted to know who I needed to kill off. Which makes me sound like a little bit sociopathic. No, you're a dungeon you know. master. We all have moments like that. It's okay. Yeah. So once my players came back to me with their characters, I basically pre-assigned them and went like, oh, you would be the conduit of X type. Um, the divine magic was uh, my player Casey's character Andromeda, who is a circle of stars druid. Um, who, as a child, touched a fallen star and became magical. So I was like, mm, divine. Um, but what that means now that she is the divine conduit, she basically gets, like, superpowers for divine magic. Okay, what do those superpowers it's look like? Cool. I'm very excited. I'm going to pull up the exact wording of the thing because I don't want to get my own thing wrong. <laughs> I get my own thing wrong all the time, and you guys call me on it when we play Demigods. So, I'm just going to read this out, because I... So, um, as the conduit for X magic, you gain special abilities associated with this circle of arcana. At third level, you gain one cantrip and two level spells. You can cast each spell once per day without expending a spell slot. Once per day, you may channel the power of your circle to double the proficiency bonus added to the spell attack bonus or save DC of one of these spells. Okay. Additionally, you can add plus one to any type, like your circle, um, spell you cast at any time. Your spell casting ability for these spells depends on your class, charisma for bars, sorcerer, pallies, etc. Okay. So basically, it gives them two free spells a day and a cantrip. Um, and if they are casting a spell that is from the school of divination, or if it's from the school of divine, if it's one of the spells that I have ruled as that's a divine spell, they get to add plus one to the attack bonus or save DC. And I like that kind of design space because it definitely feels powerful, but as long as like you don't have like players super gamifying it, which is very hard to do when you're doing it in a mostly homebrew setting like this, it's not going to unbalance the game. Um, 
And go back real quick to the section where you talked about like superpowering a specific spell because you said something about doubling the proficiency bonus instead of doing the plus one, right? Yeah. Once per day, you may channel the power of your circle to double the proficiency bonus added to the spell attack bonus or safety. That's pretty good. I'm actually totally here for that because at minimum, that's like at lowest level, that's going to give plus two, but at absolute max is going to give plus six, which is basically just like you're going to guaranteed like get that save. Yeah. Um, But that ability only is applicable to the spells like i give oh, them the two as part spells. of their circle feat. Okay. yeah so for the for the divine circle the spells um you get is bless and divine favor okay um so it's only those two spells that you can supercharge once a day what does supercharging bless look like because it doesn't force a saving throw or an attack roll i think for the superpowered version I said you basically double the d- so it's two d fours you can add to the roll um, instead of the one d four, and I think there was some discussion about making it not concentration if you had like superpowered it. So I yeah I think that was the like the buff for that spell was no concentration and two d fours instead of one if you like choose to superpower. And that feels very mechanically like it feels good as a player if you do something like that it's like aha everybody's succeeding because me and it honestly doesn't overpower everything obviously you're the dungeon master you can throw appropriate level threats at the party at that point in time so now we have the world map that you've built you've taken all of the plots dispersed them and then made the main plot and you have an idea of what your characters are playing is there anything else because i feel like that's the majority of the campaign right there right yeah i mean the campaign going forward is them going to be finding new conduits because all of the princesses are dead or dying. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so they're going to be like actively still passing away in the middle of the campaign and they have to seek out. Okay. So when we talk about seeking out these other conduits, these are obviously going to be characters or characters inspired by the other films. So the general aim is going to be so i have my core party i also have a bunch of people who want to play in barbietopia okay um and so this campaign isn't running as like a regular thing it's running quite episodically so it's just whenever we can get together we'll play a session okay so the aim is to have people come on and guest for an episode and they are the next conduit that the rest of the party are finding um but there's also some interweaving lore there's there's other bullshit i'm pulling (laughs) of course there is and i'm not gonna make you out yourself here because that's like dm tricks we keep that in the back pocket there's our extra bullshit um okay then with that do you have if somebody wanted to pull this with like another storyline another like book series or tv show or movie what do you think was like the best thing you learned from this for you? Don't be afraid to disregard stuff if it just doesn't work. If there is a thing that just does not work because it fucks with just the general vibe of D&D or the vibe of your world, don't be afraid to just axe it. Just, you're gone. Goodbye. Okay. Um, also, if you do anything like me and publicly tell people that you're doing this... Be prepared for the backlash of not including people's favorite things. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, that was okay. So I'll talk a little bit about the the, the experience that I've had because because you've been present for most of it. I've run the the Percy Jackson game for uh, almost two years now, um, and e- I think every single discussion I've had with someone, they have asked about a particular NPC or a particular like story character and asked if if I've quote gotten to it yet. And it's just there's so much that people will just like without meaning to judge the shit out of you if you don't touch their favorite part of the story. So for you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. is something that you found that is like common for people to be like, why didn't you put this in the world? Fairytopia. Fairytopia. Damn. What was your decision for not doing Fairytopia? It's the Feywild. <laughs> I <laughs> Okay, so it is in there. It's just not part of the like the main thing. Yeah, it's so for everyone, for, for the audience watching, I put out a TikTok that got a lot of traction about the fact that I was doing this project um, and that I'll be posting updates. Spoiler alert, have not done any updates yet. But, this podcast yeah. is an update. It's okay. We'll clip it and put it out as a TikTok. <laughs> this podcast is an update. Um, and I didn't mention Fairytopia, which is a... it. Fairytopia is like a sub-series in the bard movies there's like a whole series of film in like that take place in fairytopia it's popular enough to where i as a non-barbie fan am aware of fairytopia yeah people were upset that i didn't mention it good i'm i'm gonna say a good half of the comments on that video is what about fairytopia where's fairytopia where are you putting fairytopia (laughs) are we gonna see fairytopia and i'm like <laughs> no, not. It's the answer. I think too with Fairytopia is, is like I'm glad that you haven't crumbled to the pressure of like, all right, so this campaign is going to require them to go to the Feywild, which is Fairytopia, and then they can deal with Fairytopia as they will. No, you're just like, fuck it. I know it's there, but it doesn't need to be forward facing because this is not the plot that I'm running. No, I had one of the. Um, people who kind of wants to like guess in an episode be like, oh, can I be from like Fairytopia? And I just went, no, <laughs> you cannot. Because the internet soured you on Fairytopia? It soured me. And then there's already like in universe lore about how you get to Fairytopia. Mm-hmm. And it's complicated. Oh, really? The opening, the opening of the Fairytopia movie is a whole spiel about how you get to Fairytopia, the process involved. And it's like a whole thing. And I'm thing. like, I don't want to deal with this. It's a whole thing. You have to like find, you have to find the glimmering pond at the end of the rainbow and fly through it. That sounds like a D&D campaign on its own. Like that sounds like finding Fairytopia is like once you found all of the, uh, all of the conduits. Yeah. I'm like, no, you cannot be from Fairytopia. It's too complicated. Okay. Separate realms. You said about half the comments are about Fairytopia. Do you, with that, do you remember anything else like being like sticking out to you? Like, oh, people like to ask me about this particular thing with, uh, with Barbie. I got a couple of questions about people being like, oh, why aren't you including the modern movies? And I was like, because they're the modern movies, and this is like my 16th century Barbie D and D world. Fuck off. <laughs> I guess that is something that seemed like obvious to me as someone who had spent the past like month just thinking about like how does this work D and D Barbie, yeah. 
but everyone was really invested in it. I'm I'm glad that there was so much traction behind your uh, Barbie-topia idea. There's actually, okay, someone has been mentioned on almost every single episode of this podcast, and uh, she's going to chuckle when she's mentioned again because it's now a running joke. Uh, her name is Brooklyn Tuesday. It's a good friend of mine. Good, good dungeon master. Very good world builder. Um, the moment that I mentioned that one of my players was building Barbie-topia, she started asking me regularly when are you gonna tell Emmy to follow me back i want to talk to Emmy about barbie topia tell Emmy to follow me back so we can talk about barbie topia <laughs> i have now followed her back mm-hmm. um let me get up the first message i received <laughs> from brooklyn oh no i didn't realize contact had already been it's, made it's 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 all caps Emmy. aaron told me about your barbie cinematic universe that's so freaking cool <laughs> And honestly, I'm so glad that there's so many people like like Brooklyn who are out there like, this is something that I did not know that I wanted, but the moment it was stated, people are like, yes, this is perfect. I think that's where a lot of crossover came from and why that video got so popular, mm-hmm. because I was not expecting it to do as well as it did. I didn't know the Barbie... The Barbie and D and D Venn diagram was a circle. Yeah, it's. I didn't realize how much overlap there is because there's so many people who like I didn't expect to be into it who are like, yes, I would love to play in that. Um, and I think it's a really cool idea to run that. But I also think that opens the door to a lot of other properties as well. Like, who I think a lot of like our favorite TV shows and things growing up could turn into really cool D and D games. Um, for example, there's all kinds of fun stuff you can do. And not necessarily with just like D&D system, because like we, we talk about D&D a lot, but we also mm-hmm. use other systems. Like imagine running like a Teen Titans game, but using like masks, which is a, a superhero game or like running like uh, Steven Universe or Adventure Time in D&D, which would also be very fun. There's a lot of very cool play space, I think, in mm-hmm. adapting things. Things I know... Well, because I know, um, I don't know what name they go by on the internet. Gothic Fairy does like Frankenstein. They go by Faye on the internet. Faye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Faye does Frankenpunk, which is all of the kind of gothic-y stories mishmashed into one. Um, That's really cool. I know there's like. There's Mary Shelley and like Byron and a couple of the others. I've I see clips. Um, I it's on my list. Oh, you know what? We're talking about adapting things, and we've both left out a game that we're both in. <laughs> we are both in a regular Saturday game. <laughs> oh, Bertie's gonna be so mad. Bertie, you're not allowed to listen to this episode. Bertie, you're not allowed. So our good friend Bertie, uh, Emmy's <laughs> significant other. <laughs> Runs a Dungeons and Dragons game every Saturday on Twitch.tv slash this show's a mimic that we're both in. Any significant other who is in the next room <laughs> currently. He runs a game that is really fun, too. That's the worst part. That's like, if it was like a meh D&D game, I can see us forgetting about it. But it's really fun. It's called Once Upon a Table. Um, it uses the same acronym as Once, as Once Upon a Time. Because, you know, that's it is what it is. Um, so it's still Uwat for us. Uh, but uh, actually, Emmy, can you tell them about Uat real quick? So, Uat is a fairy tale based campaign in which all fairy tales, myths, laws, and legends exist in the same world. Um, 
all of the players. All of us kind of play. No, you don't. I'm saying we all play like fringe plus created characters from fairy tales. And then I was like, no, you you're the main character from yours. That's true. I did. I did pick the main character. Though, funnily enough, I picked the main oh, character so who's Bina. also not in the title of my of my fairy tale. I thought that was interesting because. Uh, um, the Mololoa story is named after like the villain and the princess. Anyway, that's not important. That's not important. No, uh, Bina. Oh yeah, matchstick little girl. Matchstick yeah. Girl. Um, but like that is a world where Birdie went. All right, I now have to pour over every fairy tale I've ever read because I remember that was the struggle that he had that neither of us seemed to have when adapting ours because. I don't know, we just like hyper fixated on world maps, but he had a really hard time filling out his world map with all of his like uh with all of his myths and stuff. Yeah. Um I think he had a hard time because he didn't want it to just be Europe. Yeah. That makes sense. And that was something we talked about. Uh because because uh he was like, Hey, you're not European. How do we, how do I make this not Europe? And I went, You make it not Europe. You just don't. You just don't make it Europe, and then we did it, and it wasn't Europe. <laughs> we did it, and it wasn't Europe, and claps for us. Yeah, good for us. Good for us. Um, but anyway, that's just another. Oh yeah, example. no, I think yeah. that's. Yeah, no, I think that's one thing he struggled with, which was just because his source material is kind of ingrained in real world culture, mm-hmm. um, making it not but then also being respectful of where everything came from at the same time i think that is an important note to hit when adapting like existing worlds as people are going to be like well hey a lot of my story my favorite stories might be rooted in like historical fiction or things like that and that Mm -hmm. is something where you need to tread carefully on kind of what you're doing um there was this was several several years ago and i'm not going to go into the name of the channel or people but I remember there was a there was a UK stream a few years ago where they wanted to play in a uh, Dia de los Muertos uh, campaign. And it was like, essentially, they didn't do all of their due diligence when studying up for it. And they uh, were a bit disrespectful about the world. Uh, and that's not cool. Oh, my voice cracked. That's not cool, though. Uh, it's It's one of those things where... You know, you got you always got to be respectful about it. And I think Birdie's done a very good job. I mean, even you with your Barbie stuff, like it, a lot of it is rooted in like European fairy tales because, like, that's you know that's those we talk about. But you made it, you leaned much more into the fantasy, like D and Dification of it, and it doesn't feel like you're playing in actual 16th century Europe. It feels like you're playing in Barbie Topia the world. Yeah. No, I think. Yeah, because like you said, a lot of the source material for the Barbie movies is European fairy tale, but it's very easy to de-deify it without it feeling weird. Um, yeah, like this is just a general note: D and D players, it's okay to say no. <laughs> it's okay to not do things, to not take part in specific worlds. Yeah, I think with that, it is really important to be able to just be like. No, I don't want to play in this particular game because it's it's crossing these particular boundaries or lines. Or I don't want to build this particular world or part of the world, even though I'm getting pressure from perhaps people outside the game or people in the game. Uh, because ultimately, it's it's your decision on what you want to play through in D&D, right? I think the last thing I want to talk about with this sort of thing, because we only have a few more minutes left uh, on our time. Uh, I want to talk about setting your 
game in terms of timelines of the stories that already exist because obviously when you're pulling from stories like this like the timelines are already resolved all of the 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 plot hooks have already been resolved in the films and books and shows and stuff right i mean yeah to a certain extent um so yeah to a certain extent i obviously had the cutoff point of um movies happening after this point i just they just don't they just don't exist. I just don't care about them that much. Yeah, but like the movies that are there any like plots that are like, okay, these plots are happening during this campaign. And then where do you make that cutoff point decision of like, oh, well, these are the books that are happening and these are the books that are in the past. Is it just like a vibe feeling or did you have a system for that? Part of it was vibes. Um, oh, always vibes. Always vibes. Um, so obviously 12 Nothing Princesses already happened. Um, as has the Nutcracker. Um, I think they were the only two going in that I was like, just vibe-wise, they've already happened so far in the past. Um, but then all of the other stories that I had, I kind of left a little bit up to the players. Okay. Um, because there were certain things that I told them they couldn't do and that they could do but obviously if people have a favorite bard movie that they want to be connected to in some way i wasn't about to say no to that that's spicy okay so now i'm glad to know we did the exact same thing uh in terms of our two universes because with the percy jackson stuff i literally left it to a vote on when they would enter the story um for anyone who's familiar with the percy jackson book series i was like all right there's three places i'll let you enter the story at the beginning of the titan war at the end of the Titan War, or at the end of the Giant War. It's one of those three points that that's where we're going to play through. What do you guys want to do? Um, and pretty much every single person said they wanted to be right after the Titan War. With yours, did you get any Barbie movies that you were like, these are requests that people want to play through and you have stuff that you're starting to do in the future for them? So, interestingly, a couple of them made themselves like aligned with bard movies mm -hmm. no one chose to be in the plot oh really yeah that's super interesting i actually do love that so a couple of them are like grandchildren or the sister of like um so one of the characters is the sister of king dominic from prince and the pauper okay but no one chose to be like a the named princess. Barbie character. No one chose to be the princess. That's wild to me, actually. Even though I like explicitly said, I was like, you can be the princess. There's like two princesses I'll say no to. And I named them and I was like, you can't be these two. But other than that, go ahead, do whatever. But they, all, it was so interesting. That's actually wild to me, I think. That's super crazy. Okay, I love that, though, because that really shows your players being invested in more of the world than just being the main character of that story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was also great for me because I was like, oh, amazing. I don't have to deal with, like, the actual plots other than saying they happened. <laughs> yeah, it's like knowing the basis of the facts and being like, yeah, this was in your backstory, right? Yeah, this was in my backstory. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, well, on that note, like, because, like... That's such a great, like, thing 
that I feel like that's a great point to like end it off for the day because like that's just a great note to leave it on is that your players were just like, I care about the world. I'm in. Um, yeah. yeah. So since we're at time, though, because I do love this conversation, but we are at time um, very quickly. Do you want to tell everybody on the Internet where they can find you once again? So, yeah, once again, I am Emmy. You can find me at Emmy Claire on the on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I make cosplay content, D&D content. You can also follow me if you like the sound of Barbie-topia and want to see that. Um, I have free time now. Wild. I just about have it. I'm still writing my dissertation, but we're going. Um, if you want to see more about that content coming out, um... Oh, I'm also producing a web series. Oh, yeah. I Shit, I forgot. That's a development that's happened, like, relatively recently. I forgot about this. Yeah, so I am producing a Marauders-era Harry Potter web series that's filming... Well, we filmed half of it already. We're going to be filming the rest during summer. I'm producing it. Bertie is a script editor, um, and you can follow us if you want to see that. It's a beautiful little inclusive little Harry Potter moment. Love that. It feels good as a um, as a non-binary trans individual to be now show running a Harry Potter project. It feels good. I got, there's got to be a certain amount of just like satisfaction, right? To just that. It's really good. Speaking of which, we actually just had a trans awareness day the other day. Uh, and that was, that was, yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. yesterday. That date's when we recorded it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, that's, that's, uh, and that just happened. And we, uh, there's actually a 20, this doesn't matter to the viewers at all, but uh, one of, uh, one of the people that we know uh, is throwing a 24 hour charity stream for trans awareness day that I just recalled was happening. Anyway, that's beside the point. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for joining us. I'm, uh, there's a small peek behind the curtain for the viewers. Uh, we had a few internet crashes in the last like 10 minutes of this uh, 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 podcast. That's my I podcast. Small peek behind the curtain for the viewers. We did have a few internet crashes in the last like 10 minutes of this uh, podcast. So if we seem disconnected, it's just because certain parts were not necessarily recorded. Uh, and that's mostly on the fault of the host. Thank you so much, Emmy, for being so wonderful. Thank you for allowing me to come this. on and just hyperfixate about Barbie for an hour. I mean, you did all the hyperfixating beforehand. We just talked about your hyperfixating. <laughs> Uh, another peek behind the curtain for the audience. This is what happens when me and Aaron talk to each other. It's just one of us hyperfixating for an hour. <laughs> it, and honestly, it's always fun. It's something fun always comes out of it. Um, yeah, if you, with that, if you like the show, uh, you can go ahead and support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash obsidian olive, where we put, uh, the episodes out, uh, every Monday at 7 p.m. PST. And if you want to just listen to the podcast casually, obviously you're listening to it now. So you're probably on Spotify where episodes come out every Tuesday at 11 a.m. PST. Um, thank you to Red Queen Hales for our wonderful cover art. Thank you to Denkles for our theme song. And thank you, Amy, for joining me once again. Everybody out there, I hope you have a great time and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Why are we waiting? <laughs>